Our scripture will be found in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. Appreciate Jerry filling in today for Herman. And um, so many of the selections today go very well with what we're going to be talking about in a message entitled Breaking the Chain of Disillusionment. Father, we thank you for being the great God who cares. Your eye, Lord, always being on us. You care more for us than many sparrows. And Lord, we thank you that um, when hope within me dies, as the song said, I draw closer to you. And so we just thank you, Lord, that you're always there for us and you have a plan for our lives. And Lord, we pray today that you would just uh, lift us up and remind us of that and just protect us as we go forth from here today and the further battles of life to have, Lord, a strategy to draw upon that we might not, Lord, become disillusioned. And if there are those today who are there in their lives, we pray this message somehow would encourage them and help them and lift them up. And knowing that you are, Lord, with them and you have a plan for their life as they will look to you. And so we give this time now proclamation into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a few days, we'll be... Uh, entering into the Christmas season. I know it's not Thanksgiving yet, but things happen uh, early now. And so people will be cranking up uh, Christmas music, and trees will be bought or pulled out of storage, and the traditions will kick off in families and communities. One tradition that has become part of the national fabric is that of watching certain movies that have captured, <clears throat> captured the public's favor over the years. Some have been around for decades, like It's a Wonderful Life, and Miracle on 34th Street. Some of you may watch those uh, regularly. And then there are others, a more recent vintage, like uh, Elf with uh, Will uh, Ferrell, and then uh, also um, A Christmas Story, which you see featured on the, the screen there. Usually one of the networks, or two of them, will carry um, one of these movies, usually now, for 24 hours on the uh, Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. It's just on a loop. And perhaps you've seen a Christmas story built around the experience of Ralphie, the little guy here, nine years old, who wants nothing more than a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. Now, some of the language uh, in the uncut version of the movie is unnecessary and beyond what it should be, but it has become a very popular movie. And all through the movie, he's wanting this gun, and he's warned over and over again that this is not a good idea from his mother to his school teacher to everybody because you'll do what? So y'all, y'all seen it, haven't you? <laughs> I'm not the only one. So set in the middle of the 20th century, if you recall the story, if you have seen, if you haven't, um, Ralphie becomes a fan of the radio program, uh, Little Orphan Annie. And every week he gathers before the large radio, like it used to be in my grandmother's house, uh, to listen to the Little Orphan Annie program with his brother and his mom, and, and he, uh, as part of that, he, he becomes a member of the Little Orphan Annie Secret Circle, and he receives a secret decoder ring, it's a little ring with numbers on it, you see it there in his hand, by which he can decode secret messages from Annie herself. And so, one time, or in the beginning, when he gets the secret decoder ring, he's all excited, and so he's listening that night, and the message is delivered in a series of numbers. So he's writing down these numbers, as you see on the sheet, and then he 
runs to the only place in the house where a boy of nine can have privacy, and that's the bathroom, to decode the message. His brother's beating down the door wanting in, and so there's a lot of stress there. And with great intensity, he's using the ring to translate the letters off of his secret decoder ring, only to come to a a great point of disillusionment with the radio program and even life itself because as he decodes the numbers, the message that begins to come through to him is be sure, be sure, be sure, complete it with me, to drink your Ovaltine. (laughs) And all of a sudden he realizes it's a crummy commercial. And in the script it says, I pulled up my corduroy pants and went to face the meatloaf and the red cabbage. Punjab had decapitated another victim. Punjab is from a later character within Little Orphan Annie who worked for Daddy Starbucks. And so, not Starbucks, Daddy Warbucks. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Uh, Now you're listening, aren't you? Timing's messed up, hour change, and I need some Starbucks right now. (laughs) So, you know, Ralphie's childhood world at this point, his ideal world was suddenly shattered as life's reality came crashing in upon his little boy world, a crummy commercial. Now, Ralphie's not alone in this world in facing disillusionment. For many, it is a very serious state into which they slip and remain, and life completely loses its luster, loses its wonder. They grow cynical, their hopes and dreams crushed, their future looks dim to their eyes. And maybe that is you today, that may be where you are in your mind and your heart. You've reached that point of disillusionment, and you don't know how to get beyond it, how to move forward in your life anymore. Your uh, hope has been crushed when hope within me dies, as Rebecca's song pointed out this morning. Maybe that's you today as you've gathered in this room. What I want to talk to you about this morning is how you can get beyond disillusionment, how you can stay beyond it in your life. And let me just say, as we finish this series today on breaking change, I've received a tremendous amount of positive feedback. And I'm thankful the Lord has used these messages to help some people find freedom in certain areas of life. These are available to purchase. They're like two bucks for a CD through the office. You can get them for free on the website and the app. And the uh, PowerPoints are on the website. We have said all along in this series that Jesus Christ came to set us free, to break chains, to give us life, life to the full. So how can he do that in relationship to the problem of disillusionment? 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7, this text lies in the background of what we're going to talk about today. Paul talking about his life and his ministry, and he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay that as we carry the gospel in in these uh, imperfect bodies and bodies that deteriorate and in our weaknesses to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. I want you to listen to the balance here in his life. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now I want you to skip down to verse 16 when he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What a great, great passage in the New Testament to focus upon in our lives. When we think about disillusionment, which is not the same thing as disappointment, we're all going to face disappointment in life. Maybe you have some disappointment going on in your life right now. But disillusionment is something that goes beyond disappointment. Disillusionment is a settled disposition, sometimes growing out of a disappointment. So it is longer and it is deeper. And sometimes it stains the rest of a person's life. So some synonyms for this word that we're talking about, disillusionment today, might be a word such as um, uh, disenchantment with life, or even despair. Paul talked about that he's not in despair, even though they're, they're cast down. And when you think about disillusionment, it comes from having a narrow perspective, a shrinking horizon, and it also, that means we're looking at life the wrong way, and it also comes from a lack of faith. So as we think about this issue of disillusionment, we need to understand what it is and what's causing it. It's caused from having a shrinking horizon, not looking at life in the right way, and from having a lack of faith. Now, regarding the first aspect of that, of having disillusionment growing out of a shrinking horizon, the first source that illustrates this for us in the Bible, a central source, is the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn back to the Old Testament and find the book of Ecclesiastes. It's such a wonderful book. I've never preached a series uh, through this book to you. We may do that in the near future. But if you're not familiar with this book, you should take time to study it, read it, understand it. It comes after Psalms and Proverbs. There's a record by King Solomon. He's believed to be the author of it. And he's looking back on life now as an older man, an older older seasoned man who's learned a lot of lessons. And the book of Ecclesiastes is is looking back on life and telling us something about life and how it can uh, be looked at with the wrong perspective, which leads to emptiness. Now Solomon had all of the wealth that anybody could ever want. Think of him sort of like uh, Bill Gates of his day. He was the son of King David. He had power to do anything he wanted to do. He had freedom to do whatever he wanted to do. He had the resources to do whatever he set his mind to do, whatever he set his hand to. And this book is a book about the things that he tried. And as he tried these things, he kept coming to a point of being disillusioned with life. And so he sets the theme of the book in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I encourage you to go back and read it. And let's just read the beginning of it where he sets the tone for us. He said, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, 
meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That word meaningless is central to this book. He uses it 35 times. He says, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, the earth remains forever. So he begins to set the the tone. Verse 8, all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And so we can never be satisfied. Things repeat themselves. There's nothing really new. And so the first 11 verses set the tone of the book. And then through the book, he begins to tell us the things that he tried to find meaning in life. He tried wisdom. He talks about trying pleasure. He talks about trying work and great work experiments and gardens that he built and exploration of things in his mind and things that he sought to learn about. And through the book over and over and over again, he says, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. He tried it all and life came up like an empty shell, a husk for him. He was disillusioned with life. And the reason it is meaningless for him, he tells us, At one point in his life, life was meaningless. In verse 14 of chapter 1, if you would look there when he says this. He said, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. I want you to underline that verse. It's okay to write in your Bible. Under the sun. That's another important phrase in this book. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. And what is he saying? What he is saying is that I learned in life that life is utterly meaningless and I became disillusioned as I was living life that is under the sun. That is living my life looking out horizontally without really having reference to God. Without God being the center of everything in my life. He says if you're trying to live life in that way, life will become something that is a disillusionment for you. That's the theme of the book. You know, I find that when people become really disillusioned in life, their perspective, their horizon is really narrowly focused on this world. They get to the point where they're just looking out horizontally at life under the sun. It's like they get sort of closed off from looking up. And so, you know, life turns in a wrong direction. They lose a job. A marriage crumbles. Their finances tank. Their health gives way. Things keep tearing up or falling apart. Maybe that's happened in your life and you just feel like you can never seem to get things all hitting at the right way on the right cylinders, right? To ever get ahead in any area of life for your hopes and dreams to come true. They just keep getting smashed. And for them, through one of these things or a series of things, these types of situations lead to just to say to disillusionment and you say, this is all utterly meaningless. This life stinks. It really has no luster, no real thing. You know, when real life crashes in upon you, it's like little Ralphie. It's just a stinking commercial. Are you there in your life today? Now, certainly any of these things that we face in life can lead to disappointment. Yet when they lead to disillusionment, they are pointing to the fact Disillusionment is pointing to the fact that that nothing's wrong with God. It's pointing to the fact that Don, his horizon is too narrow. 
and that his faith really needs to grow and to be strengthened. And if we're going to break the chain of disillusionment or despair, sometimes exhibited in depression, the first thing we're going to have to do is to recast our horizons. We're going to have to, in faith, choose to look up and not simply look around. It has to be an act of faith where I catch myself and find my footing and I look up and I recast my vision toward the Son of God. We learn to reorient ourselves. I alluded to this earlier this year, and I came back across it in preparing this message about the Naval Academy. They did away in, the, uh, in 2006 with teaching people how to navigate by the stars. It always taught people to navigate by the stars using a sextant, which is a heavy instrument that you look through, and you can find where you are with the stars. But with all of the technology, the Navy came to a point of saying, we don't really need to do that anymore, but... Recently, they they changed their mind because batteries run out, systems get hacked, and technology can be uh, sometimes uh, not always dependable. And so in the pinch in a war, sailors need something to fall back on when they're really in a storm, in the storm of battle, the storm of storms. And the stars and sectants have been working pretty well for hundreds of years. So they started teaching the sailors again how to navigate ships by looking to the heavens to reorient where they are and where they need to go. And so these young sailors are having to pick up the sextants and learn how to use them again. And if you and I are going to avoid disenchantment, disillusionment, despair, When life crashes in upon us and we have those disappointments, we must reorient ourselves first and foremost by recasting our vision and our faith in God Almighty, who we've been singing about this morning, whose eye is on the sparrow, who cares about us more than we can understand. That when these things happen to us, as the song said a bit ago, we want to draw near to Him, draw near to God. That's what we need to begin to do. Perhaps you're sitting here thinking, well, it's easy for you. You're a pastor. No, I don't want to say this. No one in this world is immune from the pressure of falling into disillusionment. And I really think, as I'll come to toward the end of this message, you know, I think that this culture is ordered and it sets us up in a way in which we are probably more susceptible to it than a lot of other people around the planet, just by the way our culture works. I think that's why so many Americans are disillusioned and disenchanted. It can happen to any of us. It happens to pastors. A number of pastors grow disillusioned with the ministry. Not the great numbers that sometimes people report, but there are pastors every year. I've had guys I went to school with. They become disillusioned with the church and with the ministry. And they walk away from it. Some never to come back to it. So no one is immune from the temptation to this. Early in my ministry, I came very near to falling into disillusionment with the church. I got very angry with God. Very angry about the whole aspect of the church. I asked God one time, is this what you're wanting to change the world with? And then I had to realize, well, you're part of it too. I look back in a journal entry from... Some years ago, and I found that I wrote this one day, quote, if not for the truth of the gospel, life would be so disillusioning. Even with it, emotions are sometimes numb. 
That's what I was feeling on a particular day in my life. But God helped me get beyond that in my life. And if we're going to be people who don't fall into disillusionment and to get off of that ground when we're being pulled toward it or if we're in it, the first step is to recast our horizon to see things in their proper perspective again. And we hear this as well in the book of Ecclesiastes when we turn toward the end of the book when Solomon says, I've learned something that I should have learned when I was young. Wish I'd known it when I was young, but here's my counsel to you about how to frame your life. When he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2 toward the end of the, uh, of the book, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. You see what he's saying? Set God first. Always be looking to him. Remember your creator from the days of your youth. Solomon is saying, I tried to live life under the sun early on without really remembering my Creator. Now, he believed in God, but God didn't have the proper place and perspective in his life. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before, and then he begins to talk about the disappointments of life, primarily here in relationship to aging. And so he says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach. When you will say, I find no pleasure in them, that's disillusionment, right? Life loses its pleasure, its, its luster. He says, remember the Creator. Get that fixed, that you're always going to look to Him before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. And the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men stoop when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. What in the world is he saying? He is saying, get your perspective right and always return to this. Remember the Creator before life loses its luster, moon and stars grow dark, the rain comes but the clouds come back as one of the songs was talking about this morning about clouds. And then he says, remember the Creator before the keepers of the house begin to tremble. He's talking about aging. When you get that uh, tremor with aging. And then he says, and the strong men stoop and you begin to walk like this. You're aging. Remember the Creator before the grinders cease to be because they are few. They didn't have dental care. The teeth began to fall out. And those looking through the windows grow dim. That is, your eyesight begins to go. Remember the Creator. Before the songs of the birds grow faint because you lose your hearing. And you grow fearful as you age. All those things. Before your hair begins to turn gray. And he finally says down in verse 13 and 14, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear who? God. And keep His commandments. Trust Him. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it be good or evil. And so when life crashes in upon you with disappointment, and you feel like you want to fall into despair... They know in faith I'm going to find my, gr- my grounding and I'm going to recast my vision on the Creator and I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust this God who made me, who has His eye upon me as He does upon the sparrow. 
I'm going to trust in Him because I know that He is and that He's in control and He is good and that He has everything in His hands. There's another great Old Testament book that deals with this whole issue of suffering that can lead to despair and disillusionment. It is the book of Job. It's not far uh, before you go back to the before Psalm Proverbs and you find Job. And I want you to turn to Job chapter 1. His affirmation we find in the midst of what was disillusioning to him. And so Job's cruising along in life and all of a sudden God allows Satan to throw a big curveball. And that he takes away his children. All of them are killed. His wealth is taken away in a moment. And then his health is taken away. It's the great book on suffering in the Bible, perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. And when Job gets the news of this going on in his life, I want you to notice how he recasts his vision. Now think about this, somebody comes and knocks on your door and says, hey, all of your children got killed today. Or somebody comes and says, hey, uh, your business burned down to the ground, or everything you've ever worked for is gone. Job chapter 1, verse 20, when he got all of this news, he's torn up. It says that this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his hair. That's a sign of of deep grief. But read the rest of, of it with me, would you? Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I would depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He got his focus where it needed to be. Then the next chapter, his health gets wiped out. And he begins to uh, have uh, painful sores from the head of his feet. I mean, the head of his, top of his head, the crown, uh, crown of his head to the bottom of his feet. He is so uh, messed up physically, verse 8 says, that he took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. This is a sick man. And think about this. There is no Advil. right? There's no morphine. There's no antibiotic. He's in pain. And you'll notice again what he does in chapter 2 in verses 9 and 10. His wife reacts one way. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? And she says, curse God and die. She's disillusioned. But notice verse 10. Job says, he replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He got his eyes focused on the fact that God made me. He's in control. He is good. He is sovereign. And I can trust him. And the whole book is about this man wrestling with that issue of trusting God in the midst of his pain. So I don't know where you are today in your life. Maybe you are disillusioned. And you've got your eyes focused here under the sun on things, on the problem, on the setback, on the difficulty, on all the, you know, the ins and outs of it, the dynamics of it, all the twists and turns and the variables of it. And you're totally sucked into that. I know what that feels like. But we must, in faith, wrestle away from that and turn to God, run to God, trust God. That's the first step if you're going to break out of being disillusioned. 
Then secondly, as we think about breaking this chain, I want to talk to you about the balancing exercise. Not only do we need to catch our footing first by recasting our vision, but then we need to have a a process, I think, that we work through. An exercise to strengthen our faith and to keep us on focus, to help us persevere. Sometimes, you know, we need a print and map to follow when we're seeking to increase even our physical strength. I pay the Y every month. I'm I'm dutiful about that because they take it out of my bank account. But I'm not as dutiful in going to the Y as I need to be. Nor walking on the treadmill that sits in front of my desk in my study at home. I look at it and pay homage to it. Um, (laughs) Find it hard to get on it sometimes. But you know, I, I went to the Y. And if you'll go to the Y, first time you get signed up, they'll put a trainer with you. And um, they'll go through and show you how all the equipment works. And then they'll come up with your action plan, right? Here's, you need to come in, like I did in high school, working out. Here's the number of reps you need to do. Use this machine on these particular days. And it used to be they had like a file cabinet. I don't know if they do that anymore, where you could put your file, and you could go get your file, and you could pull it out if you kind of had a self-directed program. And, you know, note on there, here's what I did this day for this long and over that, over time, you know, you, you come to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, so you can tell I haven't been going. But, uh, but that's what happens if you'll do that at the Y. It's, it's, it's a sure thing. But, you know, what we must do is in relationship to disappointments, we've got to recast our vision. But then we need something to pull from the file of our mind and our heart to go through, to scroll through, and exercising our faith so that we can stay on the right track and not fall into disillusionment or to get out of it if we're in it. And I want to scroll through these with you. First of all, as we reaffirm the fact that God is God, at the top of this, before I get to the balancing things, we just need to affirm and be thankful for creation. Be thankful that you've been given life. Isn't it amazing that you are, you are that God made you and he gave you life? And he has made you as an eternal being. This isn't going to end. You're going to live in one of two places for all of eternity, heaven or hell, but you are an eternal being. And life is precious. We should be be thankful for the creation. You remember Job, he returned to creation in God's hand and giving him life in the first place. Job 1, 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. I didn't do anything to contribute to life, and I'm not taking anything with me. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. So Job here is thankful for life itself. But then, here's the balancing act. Think about things that balance one another out. So as we live in this world... I've reef of cast upon God. I'm trusting Him. I'm thankful that I've been made. And now as a follower of the Lord, here's how I need to balance this out in my life. First of all, I need to acknowledge the fall. That's on one side of the equation. Acknowledge the fall. But on the other side, be thankful for salvation and that I have eternal life. I'm not just a being that's created for eternity. Because of Christ Jesus... I am an eternal being that will live with God in glory. I acknowledge this world is imperfect and it is fallen. 
But I have eternal life. Job knew that himself. In the book of Job, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, this is one of the times in the Old Testament where we really have an inkling about eternal life. In Job 19, verse 25, Job says this. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, remember His skin is being destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see who? God. Job here is thankful for his relationship with God. And if you're not a Christian in this room today, let me just say this to you. You can look up and acknowledge that God made you and that's wonderful and he's in control. But you are fallen. You're sinful, as am I. You're going to live one or two places in heaven or hell. God offers you eternal life if you'll trust in his Son And he offers to come live within you and give you power to live through the Holy Spirit as a gift if you will ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And if you've not got that settled, that's the first thing you need to do today is trust Christ as your Savior. And he'll give you the power you need to live. But if we're saved, we acknowledge the fall and then we are thankful for this salvation that we have. So here's what I mean. So life hits me and I'm disappointed. Maybe as many things hit me, and I'm disappointed over and over and over again. Maybe that's you today. You just feel like this is never going to go right. I'm like Ralphie. This stinks. Well, make sure you know Jesus because he's done everything to die for you. He's given you his all. But then we must acknowledge the effects of the fall. This is a broken world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Lord said that uh, as you grow your crops, you're going to have what? Thorns and thistles, right? There's going to be difficulty in your work. Work is sometimes going to be dissatisfying. Work is a gift from God. But because of the brokenness of this world, there's going to be frustrations. There's going to be difficulties. My wife has an uncle who is a a corn farmer, a large production corn farmer out in Iowa. In some years, it's a terrible year. They have floods. Sometimes it's almost a total loss. Sometimes that's the way life feels. There's going to be pain. There he talks about pain in childbirth. But then I trust in his providential control over my circumstances as I'm walking in obedience. So I acknowledge the fall. This world is going to have its share of disappointments. But in Christ Jesus, I can trust that God Almighty has control over all of my circumstances and I'm balancing it out in that particular way. Not only does God exist and I'm thankful that he made me, but he's actually in control of the things that happen in my life. Now here, we must reject the false moniker of our culture, I think, that sets us up for disillusionment in this society. You ever heard people say in this culture, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be, if you just put your mind to it. In America, there is no limit if you're willing to work. And I hear that all the time. I've heard that from teachers when I was growing up. Maybe you heard it as well. And I do believe this society does still provide perhaps the greatest opportunity on this earth to succeed, to use that word, in relation to opportunities that are available, in relationship to freedom. But that statement that you can be anything you want to be or anything you put your mind to is not true. There was no way I was ever going to be an NBA player, no matter how much I tried, no matter how many baskets I shot. 
No, no way I was ever going to play Major League Football, even though I wanted to play college football. But I couldn't even play at a, I could have walked on at a small college and probably got some broken bones. I ran track instead. But no way I was ever going to make it to the Olympics, no matter how much I trained or tried in my life. <clears throat> you will accomplish a whole lot more if you have a positive outlook, if you work hard and persevere and overcome disappointments. But we all have certain limitations. And there's a lot in this world that we cannot control. There's a lot of intangibles in life. The twists and turns of life sometimes come at us in very unexpected ways, like with Job. And sometimes they're life-altering. Because this is a broken world. I'm reminded of watching the show American Idol. I don't know if it's going to be on anymore or not. But when I watched, watched in the early years, you recall in the first show, they always brought on the people that thought they could sing, but they could not. You remember that? And they'd bring these people on, and they would sing, and the judges would all say, hmm. and the people would say, you're crazy. I'm going to make it big, you'll see. I'm going to be a star. You'll regret it that you didn't put me through. You remember that? And they'd ask him, well, why do you think you can sing? Well, my, my mother told me I could sing. My family says, I, everybody says I can sing. Well, people are lying to you. You cannot sing. <laughs> You're never going to make it as a singer. And life is like that. But this, this culture sets us up. You can do anything that you want if you just put your mind to it. Listen, this world is fallen. And we will find certain limitations that are sometimes beyond our control. You may get sick. Somebody may die unexpectedly, right? Things may tank overnight in the economy. We just don't know. But we must learn to trust and believe that if we're seeking to be obedient, the Lord will direct our steps and he has his reasons for letting life unfold for me the way that he does. And so the balance is this, right? I recast my eyes that he is my creator and he is good. And I'm thankful for life itself. I acknowledge that this world is fallen. It has thorns and thistles and disappointments. Sometimes those come through circumstances, through people. Life can throw curves. But I balance that out by saying that in Jesus Christ who I've come to know, I trust his providential care over every aspect of my life, and I'm going to trust Him and obey Him. And I'm going to live out my life in that particular way. So what are some ways that I can trust Him in that way, in this balancing act? Well, one, as a Christian, we're told in the Bible to be content with what we have. Do you remember that? Be content with what we have. This culture wants us to be discontent with what we don't have. And sometimes people get disillusioned with that. But you remember John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, verse 14? He's talking to uh, people coming out to him to be baptized. And these Roman soldiers come out and they say, what, what should we do? And he said, be, be satisfied with the wages you receive. Or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It tells us as well. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said about contentment in life and what we have. Hebrews 13, verse 5. The writer says, I'm going to use several scriptures with you here, so... So follow along, if you would, as we try to wrap this up here in a few moments. Hebrews 13, 5. It says that keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
If we have more, we're to seek to share. Jesus tells us that life is not found in what we have. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, life is not found, Jesus said, in an abundance of possessions. And so thorns and thistles may come my way, difficulties, but I'm going to trust his sovereign hand in that sphere of my life. Work next and live as God permits and directs. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says to us as Christians, to make your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you to. And then trust the process even with this disappointments. Life is going to have its disappointments. It's a broken world. But I cast my vision on God who I trust. I'm thankful for life. And I trust that he's in control of my life. And I'm not going to get disillusioned no matter what life throws at me. I'm going to be content with what I have. The scriptures have be content with food and clothing, Jesus said, and a roof over your head, and God will take care of those things. I'm going to keep working and being obedient to serve God and do, give my very best at what I do, but I understand that the Lord is in charge of, of how life finally fleshes out for me. And then I'm going to trust Him even if things are really disappointing, if things really turn upside down and they never turn right back up the way I want them to. That I end up not getting to do what I wanted to do. That God Almighty is in charge and He says in Romans 8, 28, I will cause everything to work together for your what? Good to those who belong to me. And then finally, in keeping this balance on this part of the side, that life has its fallenness, but I'm going to trust Him and walk with Him In obedience, I'm going to live for ultimate exaltation. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. In our text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that we fix our eyes on what is what not seen rather than what is seen. And he says, therefore, we don't lose heart because we're living for the ultimate prize of eternal life and exaltation before the Lord God Almighty. As I look back in my life, my, you know, some of you know the story. I've been here 12, almost 13 years. Some of you may not, but I come from very humble roots. My dad dropped out of school in the eighth grade, went to work in a bomb factory, and then ultimately in a pipe shop where he worked 47 years. My mom went through the 11th grade and dropped out to marry him. That's just the way things were back then in small towns in Alabama and also in South Carolina to a great degree. It was just a pattern. Most people didn't go to college. A lot of people didn't finish high school. But he worked hard for those 47 years. And if you've ever been in a pipe shop and you had one on the side, I worked with his hard work, his nasty work, his dirty work, his manual labor. He never made a ton of money. He lived modestly. He faithfully gave to the Lord's work, faithfully served through the life of his church, faithfully lived as a godly man before me and my family. He built relationships that he carried through to his death of other godly men and women in, in, in our circle in the town where we live. Sacrificed so much to raise four kids, had many shares of challenges, including a lot of health trouble along the way. But I want to say this about my parents. They were always ultimately happy, and they were content with what they had. And there was joy in that home, and there was peace in that home. 
I'm so blessed to have been raised in that home. Just a simple home. And friend, if we just have that perspective on life, that we trust God, we give our best, He's in charge of the circumstances, that will keep you from falling out of disillusionment. And we can be set free from a lot of it as we're looking to be exalted, not here, but with the Lord. And our scriptural call to worship in Colossians 3 this morning, where it talked about fixing our eyes on things above, not on things on the earth. That's the counsel we need to hear. Go back and read that text. And finally, let me say this third point very quickly. I know I'm over time, but let me just say this one. Let me, one other thing about disillusionment. To break this chain, we must remember this is an area the enemy loves to exploit. The devil loves to exploit this. He loves to get us down, to make us think life is unfair, that we should not have to live with any limitations. Remember to Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, has God really said you can't do this? He's, he's, he's keeping you from something here, right? And even with Jesus, he tried to tempt him, did he not? You're really the son of God? Turn these stones into bread. He'll try to get our eye off of the ball. And when we're down in disappointment of some sort, he likes to kick us and keep us down. And he'll seek to get our eyes on everything here and not there. He will seek to undercut our trust in the Lord and his sovereign process in our lives. That's one of his strongest points of attack. He exploits this also as he does great success. Even if you're successful, he'll exploit that and say, you ought to have more. Right? It ought to be bigger. It ought to be better. You ought to be better known. But this is where we need to learn to resist him and his lie. We must exercise faith. How do we do this? We put on that armor of God. I'm a child of God with a helmet of salvation. I live with a breastplate of righteousness, with right living, and my standing with the Lord. I have the shield of what? Faith, to put out all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and I have the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. I trust in God's promises and what He says. And I exercise in that way each day. There's an old song that used to be years ago in contemporary Christian music, it's not contemporary, obviously, anymore, but called Praise the Lord. And I close with this. It says, when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. Now Satan is a liar, and he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he knows himself we're children of the King. So lift up the mighty shield of faith, for the battle must be won. We know that Jesus Christ is risen, so the work's already done. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. And he can work in those who praise him to set you free from disillusionment. Our song of commitment today is him to uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I pray that you can sing that song today and begin to break the chain of disillusionment if it's in your life and has a hold upon you. Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. I pray that you would set people free today who may have grown disillusioned to recast their vision upon you. 
Lord, to be thankful for being created for life, to balance out that this world has fallen, but I can trust in God's providential hand. And Lord, to do that in living out these things we've read about, so that like Paul, he can say we're, we are cast down, but we're not destroyed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. And Lord, he was finding that balance by being a man who himself said that he was one who'd found the ability to be content in all circumstances, even in prison. So I pray, Lord, you would help us to have that right perspective today. And I trust you to accomplish what you want through this message. If there are those, Lord, today who need to trust you, we pray they would reach out and do so and call upon Jesus. If there are those who need to become a part of this fellowship, that God, you would help them to take those steps today. If there are those who need to follow you in baptism, that they would do so today as well. Bless us now as we sing in Jesus' name.